Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Strevens. Joining me on the show this morning was Brandon Upright. He calls himself an experience creator. And I had no idea what that means, but in talking to him, I have a much better sense of what it means. As far as what he actually does for work, uh, he's a real estate agent with Vima Realty. He is also general manager of Rebel Food and Drink in Crestwood. That's on the Edmonton's West End. Check it out for sure. Great food and drinks and experiences created by Brandon. Um, And it was funny because at first I thought, well, there's no connection between real estate and restaurants. But in a sense, there really is. And uh, it was so cool to get to hear him explain that and talk about that. And he, you know, I learned a lot uh, about a certain way of looking at the world, hospitality and service. And, uh, you know, some very basic, important human needs that, that Brandon provides in a very real and human and sort of, you know, unpretentious way. And I really enjoyed talking to him. He's a very level-headed guy. He sees all sides of an issue. Calm, well-spoken, very smart, very sharp guy. Uh, big shout out to Anthony McCarrick for setting this one up and connecting us. And Brandon, thank you for reaching out, man. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you guys do too. Again, this is my conversation with Brandon Upright. Okay, we're rolling. Brandon Upright, thank you for coming and meeting me and coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. So I think the backstory here was you're friends with Anthony who works here at Mr. Social and he, I don't know, if, did you reach out to him or he suggested you maybe and I followed up with you and... Uh, he was telling me about his friend that, that does these podcasts and uh, he was, I think he was featured on one as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just kind of mentioned to him, is, you know, is, is he looking for more people? And I was looking to do my first podcast too. So right on. Well, we appreciate the uh, the self directed nature. I think that's <laughs> that's like a big thing on this show is people who who are entrepreneurial who kind of chart their own course. So is that an accurate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good way of putting it for sure. Mm-hmm. Has that always been the way, or did you did you kind of get into a nine to five, or did you go to school? Or I guess I'm curious where you're at now is pretty self-directed, like your real estate uh, working in a, a firm. But um, I'm curious how you ended up there. Is that a personality work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess since I was young, I've, I've always um, tried to do my own thing, I guess you'd say. Sure. Uh, when I was really young, I guess, in, in junior high, I was, you know, bringing in random things from off of eBay or Alibaba, like phone okay. cases and nice. things like that, and flipping them at school, flipping them on Kijiji, right just on. to you know make some extra money to buy that new Call of Duty game or whatever it was. Um, and then it kind of just progressed from there, and we started doing you know electronics and cars mm. and bikes and things like that. Mm. Um, so I always had that ingrained into me, I guess, that mm. um, I wanted to be able to make my own way and make my own money sure. on my own terms, I guess you'd say. Right on. Do you think that's a, is that a personality thing or was it something you learned from maybe family, friends, or did you, what was it that made you think, well, I could do that because it's better than the alternative? Um, yeah, I think, I think it's a personality thing. I mean, a lot of people, 
Some people prefer the risk first reward versus mm -hmm. some people prefer the um, kind of, I don't want to say safety net, but you know, the, the comfort of a nine to five and a salary and all that. And there's pros and cons to each, obviously. So it, it really depends on someone's personality and um, you know, what they're willing to put in or what they're willing to risk. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember specifically when I was young as a kid, I remember thinking that like everything in the world was created by an entrepreneur at some point. Mm. So, I mean, even you think about this building, sure. like there was some guy who started a building company. There was somebody who started a table company to make this table or to make this microphone or mm -hmm. everything in the world was started by some person who said, I'm going to make my own company doing that. Right on. And you hit on it there. It's like, it's a risk, it's risk tolerance, right? It's being able to, to just say, I can stand that risk because the payoff is far greater. Yeah, totally. And sometimes the payoff doesn't pay off <laughs> <laughs> for sure but that's that's the fun of it right probably more often than not it doesn't pay off right? totally like, yeah you know 50 yeah. percent of marriages end in divorce i wonder how many startups end in in ruin yeah i think i think the stat for um real estate agents right now is like 73 percent of agents fail or or stop within their first year really eh? so it's pretty high so what drew what sort of draw, drew you to realty um so I started in real estate, not as an agent, but just in real estate probably six or seven years ago. Okay. Um, and honestly, the, the biggest thing that got me into it or pointed me in that direction was, you know, when I was reading all these different books or videos or what have you about different entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. I always liked reading the self, self-help and the, um, okay. the kind of biography books and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I noticed that everybody who made their wealth or everyone that was super successful, not everybody, but a huge majority of it mm -hmm. made it from real estate. Hmm. And it might not have been the first thing that got them into it, but eventually real estate was always kind of that okay. thing. Constant. That, yeah. That constant hmm. that, um, a lot of wealthy and successful people geared around. Um, so figured if that was the long-term gain, might as well start to get into it as soon as I can. Give it a shot. I guess because it's it's cliche, but they're not making any more of it, right? Yeah. Like the space is limited on this earth, so it, it's going up in value always. Is that the case? Um, I wouldn't say always. It's, it's, you know, a better... It can be a better bet than a lot of stocks and things like that. Mm. Um, obviously, the, the way that the economy goes has a big play sure. into it, mm -hmm. but... I would say in the in the very long term, it's always going to go up because, like you said, it's a limited resource, so to speak. Right on. Um, I mean, you can lose money in the short term, short term being you know five, ten, mm -hmm. even fifteen years. But in the very long term, yeah, it's it's usually a, a pretty good investment. Um, but I remember even when I was a kid, just like driving by buildings, it was always so cool to me to think, like if I was downtown and you see a skyscraper, mm -hmm. it was like wow somebody owns that skyscraper. Yeah. Somebody owns that giant building. Like that's so cool. Okay. Interesting. So there's a very deep sort of within you, some, some draw, some drive to, to that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And when we talk about real estate, are we talking about like, what is the definition there? Like it could be undeveloped land or it could be developed land with properties on it or like with buildings on it. Like, is that when we say real estate, what are we really talking about here? Um, I guess it depends how broad you want to go in, mm -hmm. in the most broad sense, it would be any property or piece of land. Okay. Um, technically the, the property has to be attached to the land. So okay. in many cases, you know, like a, a mobile home or something like that isn't technically real estate, hmm. 
what the land itself it sits on is. So in the general sense, yeah, any any building or property and mm. the land that it sits on. And how does one get into doing what you do? Like what you take a course or you go to school for it or what is your actual, I guess, uh, title or qualifications here? Yeah. So at the moment I'm a realtor, so I'm a, a licensed uh, real estate agent mm-hmm. to sell residential real estate. Um, there's a number of different classes of license that you can get. There's residential, commercial, um, property management. There's mm-hmm. tons of different ones. Okay. And then within those, you can specialize in different things as well. Um, but depends what, what area of real estate you want to get into. Sure. Like when I first started in real estate, I started as, it was called wholesaling. Okay. So basically what, what that is is um, you're not licensed or anything, but you're finding off-market properties mm-hmm. uh, that you're basically flipping over to investors, like people oh. who want to do fix and flips or rentals, okay. things like that. Um, so it's a lot of boots on the ground kind of work, knocking sure. on doors and stuff like that. Um, so I, you know, you don't need to be licensed or take any classes for that. Mm-hmm. At least it's not mandatory, always recommended. <laughs> Um, <laughs> probably helps. <laughs> yeah. And then after that I did new home sales. Uh, so I was one of the guys sitting in a show home selling okay. homes. Um, so that as well, you don't need to be uh, licensed for, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the people too, that like, if you go into a condo building and they have their own sales specialist there, mm-hmm. um, that's usually someone who works for them and isn't necessarily licensed. Sure. Um, but then if you want to become an agent or a property manager, you do have to take a course. Okay. Um, it's, there's an online course, there's a in-class course as well. Although I, I don't think it's happening right now because mm-hmm. of everything that's going on. Right. Of course. Um, but yeah, if, if you wanted to become a real estate agent, there's an online course that you take. Um, and then you kind of just go through the motion, do the test. And as long as everything goes well, then you're licensed. Beautiful. When I look back at my career in video production, like I started at the bottom of the totem pole, basically like managing the footage that came in or transcribing interviews or just like, you know, this stuff that had to be done, but wasn't, is it, is it similar in realty where you, you get in underneath somebody and they work with you or do you just like, it sounds almost like you just can get in a little higher in the, in the order sooner. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on what company you start with Mm -hmm. and, um, how you get into it, what area you get into. Mm -hmm. Like when I started as a wholesaler, Mm -hmm. I, I was aware of, I was aware of the fact that I didn't know anything. Good. So, <laughs> yeah, that can trick a lot of people. Yeah. But so, my um, my strategy to to get into it was I grouped up with a couple mentors and other realtors, mm-hmm. and basically just told them like, look, I just want to hang out with you guys. Like, if you're going to see properties, if you're analyzing some deals, whatever it is, Hmm. I just want to be there and see it and um, be kind of engulfed in it. So if you need me to pick up coffee, if you need me to like (laughs) clean some windows at the house, whatever it is, I'm, I'm free labor here. So, so use me however you need. And Mm. that was kind of the best way for me to um, be around all of it and Mm -hmm. see it and feel it. Um, Without much risk on your part. Yeah, exactly. And they were kind enough to uh, really take me in and help me get my foot in the door and teach me a lot of what they know. Mm -hmm. Um, Now as a real estate agent, when you join a brokerage, it depends on the brokerage. Sometimes they make you an assistant first. Okay. Sometimes 
you can just go right in and do your thing. Um, but really depends on how much they're willing to put into you. Some places sure. will do a lot more uh, mentoring and training one-on-one -on -one with the mm -hmm. agents. Some mm -hmm. brokerages are just like, okay, get out there, do your thing, and feed you to the wolves. <laughs> oh, right on. So yeah. they, they helped you a little bit. They insulated you at first until you felt ready to... What's that first step? Yeah, totally. Um, the brokerage that I'm part of, which is uh, Vima Realty, mm -hmm. it's a new brokerage, but it was basically founded on the principles of pretty much everything that they do is mm -hmm. geared towards benefiting the agent. Oh, um, right so it's much more focused on giving them the training and the mentorship and um, the technology and the tools and mm -hmm. everything that the agent needs in order to make their business successful okay. rather than I find a lot of brokerages were focusing on making their brokerage successful and making uh, their name. Sure. You know, like the big box names that I don't want to mention anyone specific, but it's their, the brokerage logo plastered everywhere. Right. Um, whereas with, with Vima, it's all about the agent and their brand Interesting. and making themselves the center of attention rather than the brokerage itself. Right so on. they, yeah, they, they invested a lot into me in uh, making sure that I knew what I was doing to start off. And if I had any questions, if I wanted to just go for coffee or mm. sit in on a meeting, whatever it was, sure. they'd let you do it. Right on. What's the, what's the, how does that pay off for them? Cause still it's obviously it's working for them in some way, but how does that, it's like, do you pay a percentage of any earnings that you make back to them or? Yeah. So that was another big reason why I joined Vima. Um, there, the way that it was set up was very different. The, the typical setup with a brokerage is you pay a monthly brokerage fee. Okay. Basically it's, it's a admission fee to be a part of a brokerage because right. as a licensed agent, you have to be a part of a brokerage. Mm -hmm. Um, so most places charge you, you know, a thousand bucks or a mm -hmm. couple thousand bucks a month mm -hmm. just to be a part of it. And then on top of that, you would pay every time you do a deal. So okay. a lot of brokerages will take 50% or 40%, oh, wow. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so some goes to the house and some goes to you sort of thing. Mm -hmm. With Vima, they set it up a little different because there was no monthly fees. So you don't have to pay just to be a part of it. They mm -hmm. just want you to be a part of the family sort of thing. Right. Um, and then you pay just a, it's called a transaction fee, but you just pay a small amount mm -hmm. when you do a deal, which was, it was huge for me because you know, if you're a real estate agent and let's say you have a, a month or two or sometimes even six months where mm -hmm. you go without doing a deal, right? most places you're still, you still have to pay every month, right? Oh, even if oh, you really? made no money, you still sure. have to pay. And that's scary for, it was scary for me and scary for a lot of people because yeah. that's, you know, thousands of dollars out of your pocket when you got nothing coming in. Right. So it was huge for me because I knew that, okay, the only time that I'm paying is when I get paid. And on top of that, it's a much, much, much smaller portion mm -hmm. than a lot of other places. Um, so it was more money that I could put back into my own business and right help build that. Is it, but we, if you had to pay every month regardless, would that be more of a kick in the ass? Like I'm wondering if, if working for those big box, is it maybe a more cutthroat, every man for himself culture in those places? Whereas at Vima, it sounds like it's a family. Everybody wants to see everybody succeed. Is that, is that accurate? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say, again, it depends on the brokerage, but a lot of places, I don't know if you've ever seen Boiler Room, 
the movie, but I think so. it's, uh, it's some places at least that I found it is an environment of, um, just kind of go, 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 sure. make the money, do the deals, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and that is very valuable to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, for myself too, I, I love the hustle and I love the go, go, go. Sure. But a lot of people don't necessarily become an agent because they want to make, you know, a million dollars. Some people do it on the side. Some people do it on the weekends. Some Mm. people, everyone does it for a different reason. Mm. Um, So it's great for those people to be a part of a brokerage that doesn't, that they don't feel that they need to um, overwork themselves or work more than they want to just to pay, just to meet that monthly fee. Sure. You know, so it, it, gives them the freedom to to use real estate as they want it for right. their for their own life. Okay, that's very cool. That'd be very freeing to feel like you had that power to to do that. Yeah. I'm I don't I'm the, I come from a sales background or what you're talking about a business background, but is there is there a certain type of person that gets into these I guess bullpen situations where it's like a team of you guys and like I guess what I'm asking is is there a healthy competition among the guys that you work with? Yeah, um, I would say that the competition only goes as far as um, it being fun and and Mm. healthy, like you said, healthy competition, because some places, not necessarily in real estate, but I've done car sales and I've done other sales, and it's very much like nobody helps the other person, and especially I found in car sales. Yeah. People don't really help the other person. If somebody walks in the door, everyone's racing to that customer to, <laughs> to try and sell them on anything. It's like and sharks. Yeah. And it was very, very cutthroat in that mm-hmm. kind of industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with real estate, I find that it's much more, everyone's sort of, everyone has the same goal in mind. Okay. You know, if I have a house for sale, the other agent might have a buyer for it. So Uh, me and that person, me and that other agent have to work together and we have to come together, you know, to a, to a compromise. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily me versus you. It's you and I are in this together. Let's make something work. Interesting. It just occurred to me now when you say when you have a property, so how does that work? Like it's all, it's personal, right? Like a homeowner would come to you if they're looking to sell. Is that the move? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically there's, there's two routes. You can be a, um, working for a buyer or working for a seller. Okay. So if you're working for a seller, uh, let's say that you have a home for sale, you would reach out to me or to another agent mm-hmm. and say, look, I have this home that I want to sell. We would sign an agreement together. And then my job as the agent is to market the home and to bring in as many uh, buyers or other realtors that may have buyers sure. in order to get eyes on the property and to get that place sold. Okay. Um, so that can be done, you know, through digital marketing, through newspaper, magazines, uh, home tours, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then on the buyer side, uh, basically, let's say with somebody like yourself again, coming to me and saying, Hey, look, I'm looking to buy a condo downtown, or I'm mm-hmm. looking to buy a house in Southwest of Edmonton. Sure. This is how much I want to spend. This is, you know, my must have list, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then I would go out and look for that property, whether it's on the MLS, which is like our database Mm -hmm. of all the homes for sale. Um, or a lot of times certain agents will know about off market properties that Mm -hmm. others don't, which, um, is a huge advantage in a lot of ways too. Right on. 
How, um, I know you're probably biased here, but how necessary is a real estate agent? Like, could I, as a, as a sole person, just go out and do all that work myself? Or is there, is there lots of like red tape and loopholes still for make it tough and you navigate that for a fee? Um, so I would say that it's not always necessary. And I would say that maybe not even always recommended oh, to really? have a realtor. Okay. Um, it depends on the situation. I think if you are looking to buy a property for yourself or for you and your family and mm-hmm. it's you know a place that you want to live in you want to stay in for the next 20 years or the foreseeable future mm-hmm. something like that i would definitely recommend it because there are a lot of things that um, the average person might not think about or mm-hmm. or know about mm-hmm. um, the thing with a real with a real estate agent is they their job is to have your best interest in mind right so everything that they do from start to finish is to benefit you, whether it's, you know, putting certain conditions in the contract Mm -hmm. or the other person puts conditions in the contract and that buyer might overlook it or might Mm. think nothing of it. But when the real estate agent looks at it and says, whoa, 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 this is, this is to their benefit, not to yours. Mm -hmm. Like you don't want to do this. Right. So it's, it's good in a lot of sense because they can notice certain things that a lot of people won't, or they can, um, I don't want to call them loopholes, but they can, they know about certain mm. alleys to go down or certain strategies that, that can really benefit the buyer. Mm. Um, same with when it comes to like investment properties, sure. um, rentals and fix and flips, things like that. Mm. That's where an agent can really come in handy because a lot of times if you have a good agent, they will know about properties for sale that aren't on the MLS, mm. which the MLS is what every real estate agent looks at. Right. So it's what everybody has the opportunity to buy basically. But if you have a good real estate agent who, you know, they're, they're experienced in the investment world and mm-hmm. they, they work with a lot of investors, mm-hmm. they might have those four or five or 10 houses that mm-hmm. they're like, Hey, nobody's seen this yet. This is a crazy deal. Mm-hmm. You should hop on this. So that's when it can really um, benefit you. It's sort of like having that connect of, you know, your, your home guy that, right they can feed you things that nobody else knows about. Sure. Right. You're, you're, you're in the industry. You're on the inside track. It's kind of, I can see that. Yeah. Well, why do you think like there's a, there's a real hatred for car salesmen in our culture. It's, it's <laughs> kind of like, it's a joke, but it's true. And like, I don't think I've ever talked to like a boomer age person who didn't make that joke at some point, like a greasy car salesman or whatever. Yeah. You know, I bought a new vehicle a few years ago and he was a nice guy, but he was also a car salesman and he did some car salesman things in the end. It's like, well, that's, yeah. but <laughs> par for the course, it's par for the course. You know what you're getting into yeah. when you walk into a dealership. But, yeah. um, is there, a, is that even accurate in your, cause you've been on the inside, you've been in car sales and now you're in real, is real estate maybe a bit more noble than car sales or is there a different sort of person that ends up there? Yeah. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. There definitely are those real estate agents. Okay. Um, but for the most part, I would say the majority of it is much more respectful and much more responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a huge reason for that is uh, what a lot of people don't realize is Alberta, Alberta's real estate is self-governed. Okay. So some provinces, it's it's um, governed by the government itself. Mm, more, so they, uh, sorry, sorry to jump in there, but more uh, restricted or more... Um, Restricted in a lot of sense and also just, I guess, yeah, restricted is the right word because, you know, when the government looks at it, they're, everything's under a magnifying glass mm-hmm. and 
they might make certain um, regulations or, or certain things that That's the they deem to be reasonable, mm-hmm. but obviously the government isn't dealing in real estate every day, so mm-hmm. certain things might not be practical or they might not be reasonable for them to do that, whereas mm-hmm. Alberta and BC used to be self-governed. I think they got it the right taken away from them. Mm. It could be back now. I could be wrong. So don't quote me on that. But Alberta is self-governed. Um, so they have a body that makes the policies and makes the regulations. Mm-hmm. So they work very, very hard to make sure that um, basically their name isn't smeared. So if there are real estate agents who are acting irresponsibly or they're giving a bad name to real estate agents, mm-hmm. they crack down on that because they don't want a bad name to be associated with um, realtors and real estate agents. So I think that's a huge, huge part as to why it's become a lot more um, respectful and responsible and doesn't necessarily have that same stigma that car salesman has Mm -hmm. because people, agents know that they have that standard that they have to live up to. And if they don't, there's repercussions to it. Interesting. And is is it less so in car sales? Like I'm, I'm wondering... Or is car sales like you can make a fast buck, like you can make that sale maybe a little quicker? Yeah, I think, you know, car sales is a lot more just get them in the door and get them out sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, I mean, I have some horror stories of when I was a car salesman, <laughs> like making, they would make fake ads online no. of, you know, some crazy deal of a vehicle. And it then, doesn't exist. Yeah, and people would call and be like, oh my God, I want this. We'd be like, yeah, come down right now. And then they come down and it's like, oh, it just sold, sorry. Oh like, my God. But here's five other cars that right. are $10,000 more. Do you want one of these? <laughs> so there, there's a lot of um, shady tactics, I guess, that were in, shady at least tactics. when I was in it, that was in the, the car industry. Um, and I think it's, like you said, that they just want to make a quick buck. Mm-hmm. And it's get them in the door, get them out. There's a million other people who are going to buy a car after them. So let's just mm-hmm. keep the keep the ball rolling. And right. um, it's not you know, self-governed or anything like that. So anybody can walk into a dealership and just become a car salesman. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a multiple choice test at some point. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's, it's not a full on course that you have to take. And like, let's say with real estate to just to do the course alone is a few thousand dollars Mm -hmm. um, before you even necessarily pass the test or get licensed. Okay. So that's a pretty big commitment for somebody to make yeah. if they're just planning to go into it to scam a few people and then get out. Right. Right. Yeah, okay. So sure. it kind of having that financial commitment also, I guess, weans out the people who are not invested in it for the right reason. Interesting. So I've talked to some people who are in car sales and I've seen it firsthand. It's like there's a whole, there's a whole way of existing as a car salesman, as far as like you control the conversation, you, 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 you sort of build trust and as a way to like find those sort of, I guess, loopholes into someone's being and then exploit it. Is it, is it, I guess I'm, is there still that in realty? Like, do you still come in with a persona of like, I'm going to help you and I need to, or is it more just like building a rapport, you know? I would say there's, there's both. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, if you were to Google um, how to sell a house, you'd probably find a lot of, like, the gurus and the, the sure. $200 courses that you could buy of right. some guy telling you that, you know, you have to say this and do this and mm-hmm. make sure you smile and, like, all, the, all these things. It's <laughs> right. good advice, though. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of it is important, but a lot of it is very, like, um, 
I guess, structured and almost robotic mm. in the sense of um, fakeness comes across very easily when yeah. you're talking to somebody. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you've experienced when you go into, let's say even a retail store mm -hmm. and somebody comes up to you and like the second you walk in, they're like, Hey, this is our sale rack. This is this, what can I help right. you with? It? And it's like, dude, just let me breathe. Yeah. Like, I just walked in the store. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's, that comes across very quickly that mm -hmm. you just want to sell me something. You're not here to actually help me help. find the cool shirt that I want to buy. You right. just want to sell me something really quick. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a little bit of both in real estate. There are the, the people who, um, you know, did the, the online courses and they read the books that were from the 1960s and they, <laughs> they have sure. that idea of here's how I should be a salesman. Mm. Um, but that. I think is really outdated and mm. that mm. was a big thing when I got in when I became an agent was uh, my whole thing is I wanted to be a real estate agent to millennials right and the reason for that was um, you know I'm a 20 some year old when I got into it and I was looking at homes for sale in Edmonton and okay. you know what was out there and there wasn't a lot of people that I could really um, relate to hmm. and to sound like a millennial, there wasn't a lot of people that I could vibe with. <laughs> so, <Sure. laughs> um, it there's, there's the old saying that it's, is it's a lot easier to shop with a friend than to shop with the salesman. So sure. I wanted to really be that guy who you wanted to go look at homes mm -hmm. with and you wanted to buy a house with mm -hmm. and not just I need you because you're a realtor and so I'll pay you some money, hmm. you know, making it more, um, easy and fun and just relaxing and mm -hmm. making it feel like this is just my buddy that I'm going to look at a house with. And then right. afterwards we're going to go have a beer or something. You know what I mean? Like nice. really making that? it take him out for a beer after. Yeah. I mean, we've gone for beers, coffees, whatever nice. it is. Um, because that's, that's my whole thing is I'm not just here to sell you a house. I'm mm -hmm. here to to create a friendship and to make a lasting relationship with you um, mm -hmm. for whether it's to buy 10 homes in the future or to sure. maybe not even buy a home or sell a home, but just, you know, it's always, I love just making more connections and networking with more people. And mm -hmm. you never know how that could come into play in the future. Totally. I've been talking to some people on this podcast about um, kind of the idea that the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So it's like, you, like you said, you could read books, take courses and find out, okay, this is how I will become a real estate agent. But it sounds like what you've now done is you've just, this is how I would be a real estate agent. And you're just, you're kind of going down the path of least resistance. Like, do you feel that? You're like, here's my niche. Here's me. I'm selling the way I, I want to. I, I can. The only way that I can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it becomes a lot easier when you just be you and mm. you're not trying to create this persona of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like I said, fake come across, fake comes across yes. really easily. Mm -hmm. So people can tell when you're not being you, when you're not being natural. Mm -hmm. So if I always found in, in other sales roles that I've had too, whether it's uh, when I was selling new homes or selling cars or uh, whatever it was, mm -hmm. it always worked out better. And it was just so much easier when it, I was just Brandon talking to a person mm. like just very mm. simple it right. wasn't that you know even I'm in the restaurant world too and even yeah. you know if you go up to a table and talk to them it's 
I'm not this restaurant manager trying to sell you to buy another glass of wine. Mm-hmm. I'm just, hmm. a, I like to think a cool guy talking to you and we're <laughs> sure. yeah, you're cool. Yeah. Sure. Thanks. You. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just a guy talking to you and we're just shooting the shit. You know right. what I mean? Like we're, mm-hmm. we're just, it's very natural and easy and doesn't feel like I'm pushing anything on you or, Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you do you find that when you go to those tables or when you when you're doing what you're doing with your real estate customers that there is that initial sort of like ah oh, this guy you know he's got the jacket he's got the haircut he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna work me eventually is there kind of people put their guards up every time definitely yeah um, I think a suit plays into that a lot a lot of people kind of have a um, a stigma I guess with people in suits that you're there to do business in right. some sense, mm-hmm. whether it's to sell me on something or to push something on me or whatever it is. Um, but it, it changes very quickly when um, the first thing that you say to the table is, Hey, what's up? Like, mm-hmm. how are you guys doing? How, mm-hmm. instead of, can I get you another drink? Can I, can I, can I do uh, this? Can I do that? You know what I mean? Just, you can almost see it in them that they're just sort of relaxed and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it's just a nice guy talking to us. Right. Is there, and is there something you can do? Like I've heard like to build trust, you can, you can ask for something from somebody or give like a small gift, you know, is there anything like that that plays into it? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the whole, uh, I think the technical term is the principle of reciprocity. Sure. Um, which basically says if you give somebody something, they're a lot more inclined to give you something. Mm. Um, and you'll see that a lot with, um, like online stuff, like online sales funnels and mm. things like that, where, you know, it's like, click this link for a free ebook, ebook or for yep. a free whatever. And they, they do that so that you get the free thing from them. Mm-hmm. And then later they send you an email of, Hey, here's sure. our $50 course or whatever it is. And just, you might not even think about it, but psychologically mm-hmm. it, it makes you think that, Oh, this person gave me something. Why don't I give back to them? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've already given me value. Maybe I'll get more value from them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it is completely true. Um, so you see it in, in um, the, the honest people versus the, the <laughs> sure. not. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, a psychological thing with people that if, you know, even at a restaurant, if I, if a lot of times with, you know, first-time customers, mm-hmm. I'll buy you an appetizer or I'll oh, buy yeah. you a drink or, or whatever it is. And that's not necessarily so that you'll buy more. Mm. It's just so that we create that um, relationship right off the bat that I'm here to serve you, mm-hmm. not you're here to buy from me. Right, 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 right. And that's, once you reshape the relationship, then it, it becomes more human, more more real, I would think. Yeah, definitely, for sure. So how long in real estate, just for my for myself? Yeah. Yes. Um, so f- I've been, I got into real estate about seven years ago, I believe okay. it is now. And at what point we should say you're, are you owner of Rebel? Rebel uh, I'm the general manager. General manager Rebel. of that's Rebel Food and Drink or Rebel yeah. Bistro. Yeah. In yeah. Crestwood there. Um, and when did you get in there? Uh, it's been about three years. Okay. So yeah. how did that opportunity present itself? Uh, so it's kind of, a, it kind of, I fell into it, I guess you'd okay. say. So I was doing the new home sales and it was a really great job and I liked the job. Mm-hmm. The only reason I left was because with new home sales, you're sitting in a show home all day and you're right. sort of waiting for customers to come in. Mm-hmm. And I'm the type that just always has to be moving okay. and always has to be up and doing things. And 
at least feeling like I'm being productive. Mm-hmm. Um, so s- just sitting in a chair all day in a show home just wasn't the right job for me. Right. Really great job for a lot of people. And it has like probably the best hours of any job that I've ever oh. seen. What was that? Like 10 to six? Or? Uh, usually you're there like, th- I think the show home is open three to eight. Oh. And then on weekends, like five to nine or something like oh, that. Okay. So it's really short hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and an easy job. I mean, you'd sit in a chair all day pretty much. But that but, sucks. Yeah. For really? me, it was just, I'm like, I'm too antsy. Like I right. have to be doing things. Mm-hmm. So I left that job and then I had experience before of being a bartender and being okay. a server and stuff. So, sure. um, I was just talking to my cousin actually one day and she was saying that she started working at this new restaurant, um, in Crestwood. So I went and applied there, had the interview and got the job originally mm-hmm. as a bartender. Okay. Um, started doing that. And then the owner of the restaurant, uh, who's actually now one of my very best friends and a huge mentor of mine. Um, he's an entrepreneur himself and he sort of, I guess, saw something in me and took me under his wing mm-hmm. to not only teach me the ropes of the restaurant business, but just business in general. Mm. Um, and so one thing kind of led to another and I guess worked my way up the ladder with bar manager and assistant general manager and eventually, uh, took over the restaurant. Mm. Um, and it was a really, still is a really great opportunity for me because it taught me a ton about business and, Mm -hmm. you know, managing a team and, um, scheduling and profit and loss statement, like all these, all these things that I never had a ton of experience with Mm -hmm. because I'd never, I had ran my own business for myself and my own side hustles before, I Mm -hmm. guess you'd say, Mm -hmm. but never a full on brick and mortar business. Right. Right. So that was huge. It taught me a, a ton. And, um, to this day, I mean, I'm, I'm learning every day. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And what better way to learn than just to, to have to do it with a little bit of risk attached to if you fail or you screw up, you're going to have to eat that yourself. Right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Everything, every decision that I made had an impact on the business. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a saying that everything starts from the top. So every, everything that happened in the restaurant mm-hmm. was, my responsibility. Yeah. So if, you know, if a food went out poorly or if it went out great, it mm-hmm. was my responsibility. If a server, you know, didn't do the job or they did an amazing job, it was my responsibility. So both ends of the spectrum, Sure. I sort of took, I don't want to say took the brunt for, but I took on, um, for myself. So that was, it was, it was awesome for sure. Right it was on. a great opportunity. Cool. Well, that's real leadership, right? Is like, if, if it all goes to hell, it's your fault. And yeah. if it succeeds, it was the team. Totally. Yeah. Um, do you find like what you're talking about is like a pretty, pretty large amount of personal responsibility here where you're taking on your own life and you're also taking on a team and a business and somebody else's interests. I wonder, do you see in, in other walks of life or other alleys of your existence where people don't, there seems to be a, a rejection of personal responsibility. And there's this sort of not to paint it broadly, but like there's a tendency to be like, well, we can always find somebody else to blame for my problems or I include myself in this group and we are oppressed by these people not to get too political but I guess I'm one do you do you see in yourself like an increasing sense of personal responsibility because you're the only one who's going to make your life anything yeah definitely um it's funny this is actually something that I say to a lot of people is that 
everything is your fault. And <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. For me, it's that that helped me. That changed my outlook on life and helped me so much. Damn. Because actually, I I think I got that from uh, Gary Vaynerchuk because mm. he was he was always sure. talking about how like take responsibility. Everything is your fault. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously not everything that happens is your fault, but if you think of it that way, mm-hmm. then you start to take action and you take responsibility for the things that actually are your fault sure. that you would normally try and find an excuse for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find that if something happens, let's say that you're stuck in traffic and you're pissed off about it. Mm-hmm. My fault. I chose to go down this road. Sure. I chose to turn left here or to, or whatever. Mm-hmm. My fault. Next time I won't do that. Or next time, obviously it's not your fault. That there's a lot of traffic, but when you tell yourself it's your fault, then at least for me, my natural reaction is to go, okay, well, how do I not do that next time? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. how do I continue to do this good thing that was my fault? Or, you know, whatever it is. So I think that, yeah, that, like you said, there's, there's a lot of, I think, especially with younger people nowadays, um, there's a lot of, I don't want to say self-accountability isn't there, but I guess that is the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people look to blame everything else in the world mm-hmm. um, and think, why is this happening to me? Why me? And mm-hmm. instead of just, I like to focus on the solution of things, not the problem. Right on. So if you dwell on the problem, it's not going to fix itself. Mm-hmm. But if you dwell on the solution, it'll should solve itself pretty quickly. Yeah. And I like that. If you make yourself the problem and then make yourself the solution, it's all within your control. Yeah, exactly. If you're blaming other people, well, you don't have control over other people's actions. So it's going to kind of suck when all of your problems are somebody else's fault because you, you can't do anything about it. But if everything is your fault, you can do everything about it. Right. I, I, I like that. Like to say, everything's your fault. It's like, yeah, obviously like objectively, that's probably not true, but at the same time, it's like your life and your experience of reality is only yours. So there's probably always a way in some way to be like, well, if I can do something about it, I can do it. And if I can't, then I just can't. Yeah, no but point it, in worrying about it if you can't do anything about it. Exactly right. And worry, worry is what kills people, right? It's like, worry about it. Okay, it happens. And now you've you basically let it bite you twice because you worried. Or you worried and it didn't happen. And you probably took some years off your life. Yeah, totally. There's, I don't know if you've ever seen the video of Will Smith talking about skydiving. I don't know. I, that rings a bell. So it's super cool video, actually. Basically, what he's talking about is uh, he went skydiving one day. Okay. And, you know, the days leading up to it, he was a little worried. He was like, oh, my God, I've never skydived before. Mm-hmm. This is crazy. What happens if this, this, this? Kind of playing into his own mind. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, two days out and he's getting more worried and one day out, he's more worried. And <laughs> sure. finally it's the day of, and he right. wakes up and he's scared shitless. Sorry. I don't know if I'm supposed to. No, please do. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's scared. So he's, he's like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like mm. what happens if my parachute doesn't come out? What happens if this happened? Making all right. these scenarios in his head. Sure. Then he gets on the plane, he gets up in the air and he's looking out of the plane and he's like, I don't think I can do this. This mm-hmm. is, this is wild. Like this is way too scary. Finally, I think he gets pushed out or something. Finally, he, oh, really? he, he gets out of the plane and he's in the air yeah. and it's just complete bliss. Uh, like you're just floating mm-hmm. and it's just everything is, you're not thinking, you're not worrying about that stuff anymore and everything is just totally fine. Right. And the point of the video is he's saying that whole time I was creating all this fear in my head, all mm-hmm. this worry. Mm-hmm. I was all, all these scenarios that I was coming up with of what could go wrong and, mm-hmm. you know, making myself 
almost sick to my stomach right. with worry. And it was all just fabricated in my own mind because then once it happens, mm-hmm. all of that washes away, all that's right. gone. And now it's just the reality of, of what it is that I'm floating in air. This is crazy. <laughs> and that's, that's really the whole, that's the hard part to understand sometimes is like, if you do take on all that risk and, and just do take the step, that's the ultimate freedom. Yeah. It's like you, when you take the responsibility or you take the leap, it's like problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you, you can always come up with a million reasons as to why you shouldn't do something, yep. but you can also come up with a million reasons as to why you should do something. And a lot of people, if, if you flip your mindset to here's why I should, instead of here's why I shouldn't, mm-hmm. you open a lot of doors for yourself that you normally wouldn't take. Sure. And I've, I've tried to train myself to use that sort of butterfly feeling in your stomach ah, as, as a guide. A, yeah. As a, as a trigger that, sure. okay, this is something I should do. So if it's something that, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, that's, that's kind of scary. That's mm-hmm. too much. That's, that's my trigger to go. Okay. Well then it must be something that I should do. Right on. Cause that ultimately that discomfort is where you're going to get into a situation where you're going to grow. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. I would even challenge you or I challenge myself to not use the word should. If you take the word should out of your vocabulary and you go back to what I was saying earlier, it's like, is this a thing that I do? Is this the kind of thing that I would do or yeah. even would? It's like, it's like that straight line. It's like, is this something that I want to be? So would I do the, would I take the steps to get there? It's kind of crazy, but man, you can simplify your life a lot if you, <laughs> if you use different language even. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it all comes back to that self accountability thing that right. if you, you know, if you're telling yourself that, well, I hope I become this person. I hope I get that job. I hope I do this. I hope I do that. You're leaving it up to somebody else's power to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you tell yourself I'm going to do this or mm-hmm. I will do this, then it's, it's all on you. It's all your fault. Mm-hmm. And if you, <laughs> if it's going to happen, you can make it happen. Right. And there's, I don't know if you've ever listened to, uh, Andy Frisella's podcast. No. He has a really good one. It's called the MF CEO, but he talks about how, um, you know, a lot of people think it's sort of a magic wand that, okay, I can do all these things. I can put in the work. I can do steps A, B, and C, and D, and then I hope it happens. Mm -hmm. But his thing is, well, no, if you put in the work, if you do the steps, Mm -hmm. if you hustle, if you do all those things, it will happen. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, that's, that's just how it works. It Mm -hmm. will happen. So Mm -hmm. it's not like a magic wand that is going to be waived. It's, these are the things that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And if you do it, it will happen. If you skip a step or if you miss a step or if you, you know, get lazy and don't do something, mm-hmm. that's why it doesn't happen. Right. And you may say too, it's, it's not equal either. Like some people may have more steps to climb to get to the same place where somebody got in a shorter amount of time just because of who you are. Totally. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, and you were saying too about hope. It's like you say, yeah, if you hope, 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 and then you're that means you're placing your, your results on somebody else. And it also, it then takes the responsibility off of you. It's yeah. Like, I hope. Well, what, what good is that? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. What exactly. does that mean? Yeah. Is that, is it a quest trade commercial where that guy says something about hope and the guy says, hope is not a play or hope yeah. is not a strategy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, that's great. Those quest trade commercials are actually pretty good. Yeah. Like yeah. Those they a are. Lot. Um, so you market yourself as the realtor to millennials. So I, I was curious about like, is there a certain set of needs that millennials seem to have in real estate? Like <laughs> maybe less down payment? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I guess know. that would definitely be one of them. Yeah. Um, 
obviously everyone's a little bit different, but I find with, I mean, I'm a millennial myself and Mm -hmm. obviously because of social media and because of different things, we tend to like things to happen a little quicker and Uh, we tend to like to see results faster Mm. and results doesn't necessarily mean buying a house or selling a house, but even just seeing that house or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things, a lot of different things that I try and do is, uh, like virtual reality home tours is one of them just as an example. Um, so if somebody hits me up and they're like, Hey, I want to go look at these five properties. You might not necessarily be able to see all five properties that day Mm -hmm. or that even that week, like Mm -hmm. depending on, you know, if there's people living there, if the other agent, who knows, but having that virtual home tour Mm -hmm. is really great because you can literally just put your goggles on and walk through the house basically. Really? Yeah. So that saves a lot of time for millennials or for people Mm -hmm. because they can right away kind of go through it and be like, yeah, no, that's out of the question. That house is out. That house is out. Mm -hmm. And it helps. It saves me time. It saves them time. Okay. Um, But a lot of other routes as well, um, you know, really focusing on social media marketing and digital marketing in general Mm -hmm. um, is a huge play. Uh, A lot of people have watched or seen or know about Ryan Serhant. Um, He's, he was a, a, one of the personas on a million dollar listing New York. Okay. And then he grew his brand huge, Mm. mostly on YouTube. Mm. Um, So he has, he had a vlog and he had, you know, home tours and all these things, but he, he had a video one, one time of, he was selling a house over FaceTime. He sold a penthouse over FaceTime Wow! because the guy saw him on YouTube mm-hmm. and saw all the other homes that he had and he wanted to check out this one property, but he lived in like Dubai or something. <laughs> so he, something like that. So sure. he, he wanted, and he bought it over FaceTime. So it, wow. you know, technology, social media, everything has really opened the doors for a lot of mm-hmm. uh, people and social media is such a huge place for people to um, advertise their home or buy a home or mm-hmm. just check out different properties, whatever it is. So that was really where I wanted to put my focus was, you know, not doing the newspaper ads or the, sure. the flyers in the mail or the right. things like that, that, yeah, they work sometimes. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's still the odd person who loves to see that flyer in the mail and they, they don't throw it in the garbage right away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think that or I, I know that the results of social media and getting whatever it is that you want to sell mm-hmm. in front of somebody's eyes in an entertaining and valuable way, you know, not just posting a picture and saying, sure. hey, this is for sale, but creating a really cool video with, you know, nice B-roll and good background music and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that that has, you know, they, they say a picture speaks a thousand words, a video, video speaks even more. Absolutely. So a video is a stream of still images at like 24 per second. So how many words is that? Yeah, you exactly. Know? If you're enjoying this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And now back to the conversation. What is your strategy then for social media? Like to market yourself? Like you say, like, and I believe more and more is like one post with a caption is not enough. Three posts a week, probably not enough. I want to see posts, stories, reels, tweets, TikToks, whatever it is. Yeah. So, but you also can go too far that way and you're doing, now you're doing too much. So what is kind of your 
without giving too much away, but yeah, I mean, I try and focus down on just two or three platforms. Um, Instagram is the one I use the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, YouTube is the one where I'm putting my most amount of focus. Okay. Because I think I can get my message across the best way. Right on. Um, and then I also do TikTok as well. Now I probably don't post on it as often as I should, mm. um, but those three are kind of where I put my focus. Okay. I have Facebook as well, sort of running in the background, but because of um, algorithm changes and things like that, Facebook isn't as valuable in a, um, it's more of pay to play nowadays. If you want eyes on your stuff, it's right. Yeah. You, know, you got to pay for it. Right. Sort of thing. Um, whereas Instagram and everything else I find is a lot more natural and my strategy behind how I, how I do my social media is, um, sort of like we talked about before, just be me. Right on. And I really try not to sell all the time on everything. Mm -hmm. Um, again, going back to Gary Vaynerchuk, he had a book called, uh, jab, 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 punch or jab, 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 right hook. Okay. Sure. One one of those two. (laughs) But the idea behind it being the jabs are the value that you give people. Mm. Um, so, you know, whether it be just a cool video or Mm -hmm. posting a picture of your cute dog or the, whatever it is, just entertaining content. And then the right hook is the sell. Sure. And that comes just only every once in a while that, Mm. you know, sort of that thing of reciprocity where you've given all this value to somebody, whether it's, you know, free how to's or uh, free eBooks or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not going to try and sell you on the house, but I'm just going to let everybody know that I'm selling this house Mm. or whatever it is, whether you're, you know, car salesman or you sell, you have a clothing brand or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, and there's also a, a, my strategy of uh, document, don't create. Mm. So when it comes to, you know, doing your stories or reels or things like that, mm-hmm. just documenting what you're doing right. makes it a lot easier to create content rather than thinking of, okay, I need to create something really cool and I need to get the best lighting and the best. And it's, you sort of get that analysis paralysis of because <laughs> sure. I because I'm in a dark building right now, I can't create a video Mm. because I'm, you know, not in the right setting or I don't have the right sound or I don't have my microphone on me. Mm -hmm. I can't create a a piece of content. Whereas if you're just documenting, Mm -hmm. you just are showing people what you're doing. Right. And even better, use that dark room to your advantage, make that kind of the the setting for the video and totally play off of it. That's cool. I like that. It's also like that saying like the, 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 the perfect is the enemy of the good. It's like, if you're always worried about that perfect, that's where I, that's where I'm at because I'm content creator by trade, like videography, video editing. Part of the reason why I don't do this podcast is video just yet, because if I put out a video podcast that didn't look good, then how does that advance me as a videographer? But many friends have told me, well, you should probably just get over that. And now you're telling me the same thing kind of indirectly. So yeah. And I mean, I think every platform sort of has a different standard and mm-hmm. requires something a little different. Um, YouTube is going more and more in the direction of having more of a professional finish to your videos and people mm-hmm. sort of expect that. Right. You know, if you think about when you watched YouTube five, 10 years ago, it was like the guy on his Samsung flip phone <laughs> taking a fuzzy video <laughs> yeah. of his cat doing something funny, you right. know, whereas now it's, somebody's got a 4k video and they've got Mm -hmm. crazy b-roll and Mm -hmm. you know all this professional lighting and all this stuff Mm -hmm. 
And by all means, there still is a place for unprofessional videos and a lot of channels um, really capitalize on that of being that natural, candid sort of shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where a lot of these other social media social media platforms are coming to benefit where something like TikTok is very just quick. Yeah. You pulled out your phone, you took a video, did a couple little edits or sound bites over top of it, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. There's not that expectation of, well, why aren't you doing a 4K video or why aren't you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So every platform is a little bit different, but all in all, I would say that it's always better to post something than to post nothing. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, post something rather than post nothing. Yeah, and that's kind of, that keeps the algorithm happy too, is the first, yeah. you do have to keep pounding it out. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's like the the biggest hurdle to overcome, I would say, with pretty much any social media platform is that algorithm. Because if you just post once a week, you might have the best content in the world, but nobody's mm-hmm. going to see it. So right. what good is that? No doubt. Are you finding that like older real estate agents are trying to get onto the social media game now? Or is it is it more something that the younger guys are kind of sticking to? Um, it's definitely still majority run by younger crowd. Mm-hmm. Um Younger, I would say, would classify as, you know, 35 and under. Okay. Um, But I think almost everybody nowadays sees the value in social media and knows Mm -hmm. that it is something that they should do. Whether or not they do it is is another thing. Right. Um, But especially, like, on Instagram right now, you'll see so many pages of, you know, John's Flooring Company and, and Jim's curtains and and they'll have like you know oh, yeah. four or five photos of of their business mm-hmm. and it, obviously it's it's not something that they're going to put thousands of dollars into marketing behind or they're mm-hmm. going to hire someone to do some professional videos or anything like that but they do see that there's value into having that presence because i mean i would say 99 percent of people now if you're looking to go buy something or to start a relationship with a company or whatever it is, you're probably going to Google them first. Mm-hmm. Even if you're hiring somebody or you're going to apply for a job, you're probably going to Google them first. And Definitely. I know like for myself working at the restaurant, if I have somebody come apply, mm-hmm. I always do my due diligence and Google yeah. and Facebook and whatever. And mm-hmm. if it's sort of a red flag when somebody doesn't have social media, <laughs> it's sort of like, Could wait, be. are you hiding something? Are right. you not like, because it's such a normal thing nowadays. It's such mm. a natural thing for people to have. If they don't, then it's sort of a, like a, the bells go off. Of, sure. There must be a reason. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that like, don't you have to have a Facebook in order to get a Tinder? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty like, much. Kind of the same thing, right? It's like, you don't want to be, you don't, but there's another side to that too. Don't you see the danger there where it's like now my, my, although I guess I signed up for it. My, my, my life is now so public that anybody could find me and make a judgment on me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's definitely pros and cons, and there's there's been a lot of heat being taken by social media companies, mm-hmm. mostly Facebook, behind the whole privacy thing. Right. Um, like, I think it was back in October, uh, they changed their policy with uh, Facebook advertising for right. a lot of specific categories, mm-hmm. real estate being one of them. Um, they changed it. It's called special ad category now, which it was it was to try and stop discrimination okay but the basis of it was if you're going to make an ad for real estate and for a few other industries as well you cannot filter by um like by gender by 
ethnicity, Interesting. by postal code. Mm. Um, you can't do any of that. Or by age or... When did they do this? Recently? I think it was last October. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's only for specific categories. Okay. Um, but I think it was really to stop, you know, there's a lot of like mortgage companies contacting mm. or targeting people that were low income or that were, you know, living in low income areas or mm -hmm. things like that and sort of preying on them, I guess. Um, at least I believe that that was how it at least got on people's radar. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, that is just one example of how things are changing mm -hmm. in terms of people um, being aware of their privacy. Yep. Uh, I guess I wouldn't say being taken, but being taken advantage of. Yep. Um, and it's, it's tough because it's sort of a, a give and take in the sense that the more that we give, the better our technology gets. Like true. the That's reason true. that Google is so great and is the number one search engine is because they know so much about you. Yep. So when you Google, if you just Google tacos, mm -hmm. <laughs> it knows where you live. It knows it's going to show you the ones around you first. It's going right. to show you the ones that you've recently visited. It's going to mm -hmm. right. And so when you Google it, it seems like it's magic. Like, Oh my God, how does Google know that this is exactly what I was looking for? Mm -hmm. How does Google know that? this is five minutes away from me or that I love chicken tacos and not fish tacos mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? Sure. But it's because through all your other social media sites, through all your emails, through your, all these different things, you've, you've given them access hmm. to your information. So yes. it sucks in a sense. And <laughs> if you think about it in the sense of, Oh my God, they know everything about me. They're recording me. They're tracking me. They're right. all these things. It can be pretty creepy if you go mm -hmm. down that rabbit hole, but on the other end, that's why our technology is so amazing. And if we were to cut that off, it wouldn't be that great because you'd be having like a, <laughs> true. a ask Jeeves or like a Bing right. search engine that you're giving you pictures of tacos. Yeah. Like, you search something yeah. and you're like, I don't even live in, in moose jaw. Like right. I don't want this. That's a positive, that's a, probably about as positive an outlook as you could have on that thing. Because 10 or 12, 15 years ago, we didn't realize what we were signing up for on these social medias. It was just like a great way to plan parties or post pictures or whatever. And suddenly now we are the commodity. We are being, our privacy, our data are, is being sold. But I take what you mean, like it's very easy now is <laughs> to get what you want, I guess because so much is out in the open. Yeah, that's, that's kind of freaky though, I think. Yeah, I mean... There's, there's this paradox, I guess you'd say, of, mm -hmm. of um, so back in the olden days, I'll say, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, when, when people were riding horses to get around, sure. their town was very small and everybody lived close together and mm -hmm. you could walk to get your food, you could walk to go get your, um, you know, your, your pharmaceutical products, whatever it was, everything right. was very close. Mm -hmm. And that was because people either walked or they rode a horse. So you couldn't, it's not like you were traveling around the world and mm -hmm. at least not the average person. Right. And then one day vehicles were invented. Mm -hmm. And because now more and more people had vehicles, they could spread out the town more. Mm. So when you were to build a new store or a new grocery store or a, um, mall or whatever it was, mm -hmm. you could put it a little bit farther away mm -hmm. because now people had access to go farther and farther. Mm -hmm. 
And then that sort of revolved that, well, now because things are farther and farther away, everybody needs a car. Mm-hmm. So because we invented the car, we spread things out. But because we spread things out, people needed the car. So it's sort of like the, the technology that we create is created for a reason. But because we create that technology, mm. we create more reasons, if that makes sense. No, that's a great way to look at it. I hadn't really even thought about it. But we, we keep, it's like perpetuating itself. It just, yeah, exactly. Right. That's what we do as a race or as a species, it seems like it's just. It's human nature, yeah. Right. Just keep expanding. Yeah. I wanted to ask you something that I, I was on a, a girl, uh, her name is, or a woman named Allie Stone, and she owns a couple of uh, original Joe's franchises. Okay. Or, yeah, that's, that's the case. And I didn't ask her this, I want to ask you, is there's, a, there's an advertising campaign going on right now where it's, it's, kind, it's quite sappy, it's, it's the Canadian Restaurant Coalition or something like that, where you're paying for this advertising where the hook of the commercial is that we, the public, are somehow responsible or, or are obligated to keep going back to these restaurants now that they're open again. Yeah. I guess, without sounding like an asshole here, is like, do you, do you feel that way? Like, do you really feel like restaurants are like an essential service and that we, the public, are obligated to... Because I keep hearing, like, over the last year, these COVID stats, and it's restaurant closures are like this big one that they always throw, and it sucks. I don't want to yeah. see people out of business, but I'm just curious, if is there a sort of... Uh, is there that feeling among the restaurant community that you guys are, you provide a service, but we're somehow obligated to keep you guys going? I don't see it as a, as a obligation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that people should only shop somewhere or go eat somewhere if they enjoy that place and if that place does right by them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there should be any obligation to go to your you know, local restaurant or your local watering hole just because they're local Mm -hmm. because they're there i don't think that any place is entitled to any business unless you've earned that basically Mm -hmm. so if if you run a great restaurant and you have great food and you treat your customers well Mm -hmm. the people will come there naturally and you don't have to hold any obligation or any um you know gun to anyone's head of you need to go to these places because Mm -hmm. people just want to go to those places right and I've seen even when, well, twice now when we've reopened after a lockdown, mm-hmm. so many people come out because they're just like, we just want to be around people. We just want to have fun again. We just want to mm-hmm. talk to people again. Yeah. So it's, people aren't coming out saying, yeah, the government told us to come here or the coalition <laughs> sure. told us to sure. come here. Or, <laughs> and if they do, then I, I feel really sorry that that happened. But mm. people for the most part are, are at least for our restaurant are mm-hmm. coming there just because they just want to have a good time and they know that if they do come there we'll treat them well we'll show them a good time their friends will be there they're mm-hmm. um you know they, they know a lot of other customers there mm-hmm. and yeah I don't, I don't think that i mean people can can preach and mm-hmm. riot and, and make coalitions <laughs> all they want sure. but if you're going to force people to go to places, it's probably going to make them resent it more. Absolutely. Yeah. If you, like, yeah, if you have to use force or coercion, it's like, well, obviously it's not something that people would do naturally. So yeah, people didn't want to go there in the first place, I guess. Right. Right. I think Rebel's a cool place and you guys are open right now. Yep. Yeah. I should get out there because you're, there's not too many of these neighborhood restaurants, I would say really like you're on the edge, like you're well removed from downtown in, yep. in Crestwood there. So you must get a lot of repeat business, a lot of like, like what's the vibe like? Yeah, it's, I classify it as a sort of a, an upscale neighborhood place. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it's we're lucky enough that we're we're parked in front of some wealthier neighborhoods True. but we we really thrive off of our regular base mm. um so it's i don't know if you remember the show cheers True, where yeah. everybody knows your name mm. <laughs> that's sort of the the feel that we like to give off where if you walk in the door we're coming up saying hi you know mm. you know that table and that table and your neighbor is sitting over there and your brother-in-law is sitting over there and mm -hmm. the server knows that your son just had a hockey game and mm. your you know your your wife teaches yoga and everyone feels at home there mm -hmm. and it it doesn't feel like you're going out to a restaurant it feels like you're just going to hang out at your friend's house mm -hmm. and um that's really the persona that we wanted to give off there was you can come here you can relax you know we get a lot of uh, business people and a lot of professionals mm -hmm. so it's that place for them where maybe they just worked in an office all day or they were just mm -hmm. downtown in their suit all day and they just had a tough day they can just come to rebel and just sit back relax there's no expectation of them there's mm -hmm. no they can just be themselves and hang out with friends mm -hmm. so i can actually see in a sense why that coalition or whatever it is would feel so strongly because what you guys provide is something that is in some ways it is essential you know and it's been since we since we started gathering in, in communities like this you need a spot like that have you i guess i'm curious on the flip side of that is your employees and the people that serve like you were talking earlier about this sort of uh, need to serve or this 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 desire to serve that seems to unite people in the restaurant industry almost across the board you know is that is that fair to say like because i don't feel that need really like i'm maybe a little bit through here or my family my friends yeah. but i uh, to serve the broader community i don't know it's not in me <laughs> yeah. no i mean to each their own too i mean some people love it and some people hate it mm -hmm. um being working in a restaurant is definitely only for certain people mm -hmm. and some people can't do it they mm -hmm. feel like they're you know a slave or they're sure. just just there to bring people food and mm -hmm. but i look at it as i'm just kind of a host mm -hmm. and i'm there to just show people a good time cool and it's sort of like if you had a, a party at your house with a bunch mm -hmm. of your friends sure and you just want to be a good host and you want to make some good food for them and show them <laughs> your new martini recipe that you just came <laughs> sure. up with and yeah you want to, you know, put on the hockey game for them and mm. you just want them to have a good time. And it's the same feel for me there that, like we talked about before, when I'm not trying to, everybody who comes through the door sell you on something. Right. I'm just trying to show you a good time. Mm. And I hope that when you come there that you are enjoying yourselves and you, you know, are there with good company, you're there with your friends laughing and talking. And when you leave, you're thinking damn, I want to go back there. That was fun. Yeah. And even like with my real estate, that's my main goal is just to show you a good time and just have it be easy and relaxing and fun that mm -hmm. you're like, damn, I want to do that again. Mm -hmm. Right on. And that goes back to what we were saying is like, it sounds like the way you run your restaurant, the way you manage your real estate clients is the same. It's just, that's the way you Brandon would do it. Yeah. It's all about hospitality really. Okay. That's what it comes down to. Where does that come from in you? Because I get that hospitality thing. I don't do much entertaining. I do, I, I, I do, I should say, I'm not, not against, I'm not against serving. I try and help with the podcast. I try and help those guys over there, Mr. Social. Totally, you know, yeah. like, I get that. But where does that come from inside? Like, I don't see it as serving, but you maybe are more in tune with like hospitality or like facilitating an experience for somebody else. Yeah, I think 
I mean, it, it maybe it comes down to my Italian background. Okay, <laughs> when, sure. When I was sure. a kid, um, that was always like the funnest times for me as a kid was when we'd have the big family get-togethers mm. and like at my nana's house or or one of my relatives, mm. there would literally be like 50 of us mm. packed into one house and, you know, just a, a table full of deli meats and <sighs> breads and cheeses yeah. and, you know, a typical Italian get-together and it was just always so fun and it was always, um, I always sort of saw my nana or my, or whoever it was hosting the event that it was like, this is so cool that you made this happen. Mm. Like that you, everybody here is laughing. Everyone's having a good time. Mm. Everyone is just, just having fun. And it's because of you, like you put mm. this all together. So I think that was a, a huge part for me Neat. that it was like, you could be that guy to make that experience happen for everybody. Hmm. Cool. So that, that kind of was what I was thinking when I was thinking about serving at a restaurant. It's like, I'm not going to say it's filling a void in your, in you, but in a way, maybe it is. It's like you, you have your problems, you have your troubles, but if you can give something to somebody else or a group, it, it kicks back to you, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, in, in any position, like even if you're a server at the restaurant, mm-hmm. that's, I always say that being a, a server is one of the best jobs that an entrepreneur can have, hmm. at least to, to start out and to make Interesting. some okay. extra money. Because as a server, you have your section in the restaurant mm-hmm. where you have, you know, let's say four or five tables, whatever it is. And for that shift, that's like your business. Hmm. So you have those tables, mm-hmm. you have those customers, you have a certain product that you can give to them. Hmm. And if you treat that as your business, then it always goes better because you're going to make sure that your business is clean and tidy and your customers are happy and they're getting what they want and you're making them laugh. And, <laughs> you know, you, you treat it that way. It's very much becomes easier, but it also becomes uh, more profitable and valuable and mm-hmm. just a better experience for everybody. That's neat. And that, again, there's that personal ownership or responsibilities, like make that section yours, make that get together yours. Like, yeah. yeah, it can only be a good thing at that point. Totally, yeah, definitely. What's kind of the future trajectory for you? Are you going to stay at Rebel? Are you going to keep doing real? Like, I guess two is like, how do you split your time between those two? Um, so, with Rebel, it's I'm lucky enough that I have a, a great team of mm-hmm. um, owners and managers and everything. So, they're really great with um, helping me balance that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also am very on top of my scheduling, I guess you would say. Good. Um, so I try and make sure that I know exactly where I'm going to be at what time. And um, it's also becomes easier because I can meet clients sure. there. I can give them that hospitality at the same time mm-hmm. as, you know, meeting them or talking to them about whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the foreseeable future, I'll be staying at Rebel for sure because it's a such a great place to network and to meet new people and right to um, build my name and my clientele um, as well as hone in my business skills and, and all those, those things. So um, I'll be, yeah, doing both. I think they really go hand in hand together. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, I'm, I'm all about hospitality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, serving people food, serving people drinks, giving people a, place over their head yeah it's hey, uh, that's, that's pretty cool man yeah they go hand in hand together and it's yeah it's all about just 
showing people a great experience. It's man, when you put it that way, like it's. I'm not gonna say it's simple what you do, but in a, in a sense, it is. You provide like some pretty basic necessities for yeah, people. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. See, sometimes I think my life I've overcomplicated things. Like, <laughs> it's so reliant on technology, these recording cameras, lenses, lights, and always trying to one up and everything. But in a way, though, this podcast has allowed me to really simplify my life because this is just a conversation. Yeah. A couple microphones couldn't be just easier. Two guys talking. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. It, that's all it is, and it's beautiful, right? Like it's what. 20 after 11 on a Tuesday and we're blessed or blessed really to be able to do this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to wrap it up. So is there anything, anything further that you might want to say or, uh, no, I mean, I I appreciate you having me on your show and pleasure. I've uh, been wanting to do a podcast for a long time now. Uh So this is awesome. I'm a avid podcast listener. So, Oh, who do you listen to the most? Um, definitely Joe Rogan is my number one yeah. as I think most of the world is their number one. I think he is number one. Yeah. 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 His are always, the thing I love about his is it's just so natural and veers off into who knows where, Yeah. um, you know, he might have on an, an Olympic skier and mm-hmm. the whole time they don't even talk about skiing. Like I know. it's just, it's literally just two people talking to each other and having a conversation and shooting the shit. Totally. It- I am just in awe still. Like, he never has any notes on that table. No. He, he may do prep, but, I mean, he's at 1,600 episodes, but he's gifted oh, the way yeah. he structures those. I don't understand how he does it. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's also such an amazing, has become such an amazing business for him because mm-hmm. just his, I think he's exclusive to Spotify now, I think, for, yeah. for the audio version at least. Yeah. But on YouTube as well, like, the amount of views and just eyes and ears on his stuff for yep. advertising or just for his own brand mm-hmm. is is amazing and there's a ton of other people too that yep. that have created amazing podcasts that um really help share other people's stories and share their mm-hmm. own story and now more than ever it's audio is becoming such a huge thing clubhouse the rise of yeah. clubhouse now yeah clubhouse and um even like um audio or i guess voice searches things like that oh, really interesting yeah. i also noticed that now a lot of people went in like a text messaging platform they'll give me a voice message voice message it, yeah it's great so you leave a voicemail without calling yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's super handy it's like sure. the, the return of, of not radio but of audio communication i think that's great yeah um what do you think well, here's what I've been thinking is like this podcast platform and maybe Clubhouse too could be a way like what we just did here. Now you've got an, an hour, hour and a half long piece that you can present to people that you maybe want to sell to, people that you want to network with. And because it's in the podcast format, it's almost like, I'm not going to say disguise, but it's like you could give this to a client potentially and they could listen to it on a drive and then holy shit, they know a lot more about Brandon than they did an hour ago. Do you see a possibility there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it... It all helps in building building your brand and letting people know who you are, what you're about, what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, I mean, I've probably said it five times now, but <laughs> fake comes across so easy and you sure. can hear it even in people's voice, like when, they, mm-hmm. when they're doing a podcast or doing whatever. And you can tell very quickly if that guy is just a sleazy salesman or if he's, <laughs> you know, just a, a cool guy. And, right. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely is another vehicle to get your message across mm-hmm. to people. Right on. Um, and I think, like, Clubhouse is super cool, but 
because I think it's still invite only right now. I think, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's cool because you can listen in on basically you're listening into somebody else's conversation with somebody else. Right. So if you know whether it's a celebrity or it's mm -hmm. a um, you know a mentor or somebody in your city that you want to know more about or whatever, you can listen in with an experience that you've never been able to do before. That's the key is like, as we were talking about the evils or the, the paranoia of social media, but it's also broken down the walls of, of like class-based communication is like, I can now watch a live video, uh, like the rock can basically just deliver me whatever he's thinking in the moment where it's like 20 years ago, if you were a kid and you were a fan of somebody, it was so, there was that, you know, you have to write a letter. Yeah. Come on. Totally. I mean, I remember the days of when I was a kid and you go biking around the neighborhood and mm -hmm. the way that you knew where your friends were was all their bikes were outside of a house. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? There was no yeah. texting. There was no like Snapchat maps or mm -hmm. there was nothing like that. It was, yeah. you wanted to contact your friend Well, you call their house phone, you talk to their mom, you ask to talk to that person. And then, yeah, like, which that in itself was good practice for being a human being, right? Call totally. Talk yeah. to somebody's mom and then, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, have to, you have to go through the gatekeeper first. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Do you have a sense of like, I, I don't know. And I don't either know for myself, but if you were to have kids or even just interacting with the younger generation, you know, that's coming up underneath you, how do you, how do you manage that? Because now that's, so, you could almost ruin a kid's life in some way if he's born with this thing, born with this phone in his hand, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't have kids myself, so I, I don't want to say that I have good parenting advice. But, <laughs> no, I would <laughs> But I, I would think that it's really all about um, the parents monitoring it and managing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is very valuable to have that technology for your children, mm -hmm. um, but obviously to a certain extent. I think that both extremes of the spectrum would be damaging and could be bad. You know, if they're if all they ever do is their eyes are glued to the screen and yep. that's all they know, mm -hmm. that's gonna be bad. They're not gonna have social um, cues or be able yes. to socialize with people. Um, but at the same sense, if you never let them be on an iPad ever, or you never give them a computer, well, that's the, that's the world that we live in. So right. they need be, to be able to, yeah. you know, to know how to do that. And it's pretty crazy sometimes when you watch, you know, like my, if I have a little niece or, or somebody and you just give them a phone, mm -hmm. sometimes they can't even speak yet. And they can just within a minute, mm -hmm. they just understand how to touch something on the screen and how right. to exit out of an app or like they learn so quick <laughs> it's almost like somehow it's become human nature mm. to to learn technology or to adapt to it sure and yeah i think it it's important to monitor it and limit it to an extent mm. not even for children but just for anybody i mean yep. if if That's you're right. stuck in your house all day playing video games you're probably not going to be the the best social person right yeah um and you know if you get into a setting where let's say you have to go speak somewhere or you have to do an interview or mm -hmm. you have to do something it might not go the best way possible because mm -hmm. you're just used to staring at a screen and right being a keyboard warrior or whatever it is <laughs> totally so. and it's just totally internal right it's just like a feedback loop between the technology and you yeah so you never yeah definitely and I, there, there's definitely a lot of people who 
um, capitalize on that, mm -hmm. you know, like Twitch streamers and things sure. like that, that that's what they do for 10 hours out of the day is just be in front of a camera and right. talk to a computer and talk to a microphone sort of thing. And by all means, all the power to them. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in a, in a broad sense, it's definitely good to have that balance of um, the digital world versus the real world. Mm -hmm. And I'm always, I always think about what it's going to be like mm -hmm. in like 20 years or oh, something boy. when virtual reality has, has expanded more and become more of a norm. And I mean, there's going to be a day where instead of going to the mall to shop, mm -hmm. you're literally just going to put on your VR headset and walk through a virtual mall mm -hmm. and shop. Like that's crazy to think that people are one day will be able to live in a virtual world. Right. And that virtual world may in some ways be better than whatever's left of yeah. the real world. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's a scary thought, but that seems to be where it's headed, right? Totally, yeah. And, and then it begs the question of at what point is there more value in the virtual world than there is in the real world? Well, yeah, and then it begs the question, what value do we have ever, really? Yeah, at all, you know? yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, so, oh man, that's crazy. So, what, how old are you? 26. 26, okay, so I'm 31, so we're roughly the same vintage, but... So you can you can remember a time probably where you didn't there was no phones no computers in your in your house maybe at a yeah year? oh yeah definitely yeah. Yeah, I remember thing. getting my first computer and thinking like this is this is unreal this is crazy <laughs> like I know we're in the future here this is nuts <laughs> totally remember the first time I downloaded a song on cable internet and it yeah. took just a few minutes boy that was living back then yeah burn a CD oh oh yeah burn a <laughs> CD and I remember like you could only the CDs I had, at least you can only have like whatever it was, 10 songs sure, on yeah. it or five songs. Mm -hmm. And then when MP3 players came out and it's like, wait, you're telling me I can have 50 songs oh, in one spot here. Yeah. Like this is insane. And now it's like, if you can't hold 500,000 songs, like you're, mm -hmm. you have a old piece of technology. Totally. Well now it's like with, with those streaming services, it's like you have every song. Yeah. It's unlimited. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. My, my dad was telling me the story when he realized that he could stream Spotify over data while he was on a bike ride and it just yeah. it blew his mind. Oh yeah. Because he was from the Walkman generation, the, the record player generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's exponential that curve. Yeah, uh, no, I know. I remember even using dial up. Yeah. That was you get that loud screeching noise. Oh man. You had to wait for I I don't know if you ever played Neopets when you were a kid. Yeah. I yeah, did. so I, I played a lot of Neopets. Okay embarrassing enough but well, admitting um, is the first step yeah <laughs> so there there was this one part of it where you could um people would give away certain items in the game mm -hmm. and you had to bid on it like right away to get it mm -hmm. but i was on dial-up connection so it was like <laughs> super slow sure. so you could never ever get anything good and right. it was like so frustrating because you know other people were running like windows xp and i was on whatever the, the oldest version yeah. of Windows was. 98 or 95 yeah. or something. Yeah, so it was, it was funny because back then Windows XP was like the thing. Like that was... It was, it was hot shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, I don't know if you ever used LimeWire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Come on. LimeWire yeah. was a game changer. That was... LimeWire was it, man. Yeah. I am ashamed to say I downloaded all kinds of things on LimeWire, not yeah. just music, you know? Oh, yeah. It's funny because, you know, the, the artist Soldier Boy... Yeah. I mean, he had a huge song way back in the day that cranked that Soldier Boy song. And oh, yeah. I guess that was, LimeWire played a huge part into him getting famous because, I mean, call it a scam, but it was kind of smart in his day that mm -hmm. he 
went on LimeWire and he just uploaded his song with a million different titles of oh. other very popular songs. <laughs> so he would make it like whatever Nickelback's photograph sure. or like what just some whatever. song that was like super popular. So you would download it on LimeWire, open it up. And it'd be Soldier Boy. That's genius. so. That's he was genius. almost like forcing him his song on all these people that would never normally listen to it. Right. But then he became a viral sensation because of it. Right. You could call that lying, or you could call it like direct marketing or something. Yeah, you know? totally. I actually, me and a buddy, we we produced a feature film that we're slowly just about to the finish line here. And I'm like, I honestly think you should upload this and allow people to torrent it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Because you have to, and it goes to what you were saying about the way you. Uh, have to kind of game social media to, to your advantage is like you have to use that to your advantage and, and people there's the straight and narrow path that everybody takes and it's like you know the three posts a week here's our curtains here's our floor it's like no yeah. no you kind of have to find some back doors yeah totally you gotta you gotta do things that are different and stand out from everybody else because mm -hmm. it's such a crowded place right now yes on these platforms and you know when even like let's talk about the newest biggest one which is probably clubhouse mm -hmm. and it's you know hasn't even made its way into the general public's hands right but within once it does within months it's going to be saturated yeah like so fast mm -hmm. because everything else is so crowded that people are just looking for that next thing and a lot of people are doing it because they want to be that next influencer and they want to yep. be that next viral sensation mm -hmm. so they're just waiting to hop on that next train um, but yeah, it's, it's such a crowded sea of people right now that it's so hard to, um, put your stake in the ground and get your name out there. That's a good way to put it. And you, but you ever, but that's the thing is nowadays you have to put a stake in the ground. Like even if it is just some minor presence, yeah, you can't not have it. No, for sure. You, it's, it's your, in the literal sense and in the figurative sense, it's your profile. Like mm -hmm. it's, it tells people who you are and what you do, what you look like, what, what your hobbies are. And right. it, yeah, it gives people a sense of, it makes people feel like they've met you before they've ever met you. Yep. That's totally it, man. Like there's a, there's a trend toward, they call it like user generated content. So like, uh, like a, a t-shirt company, you know, those fitted t-shirts, they just, they'll post videos of people unboxing and putting those t It doesn't have to be slick or professional, but it's like, yeah. it's because it's almost like you shot it and send it to me personally. Yeah, it's social currency, really. It's mm -hmm. like if if my friends like this product or if my friends recommend it, I'm mm -hmm. way more likely to purchase that product. Right. So if a lot of things, I don't know if you've, you've probably seen online all these ads for Wealth Simple. Yeah. They're going crazy right now on social media because, mm -hmm. and a lot of their ads that they're making are just like very simple, just a person talking to the camera. Like that's all it is. It's not like a professional production. Mm -hmm. It's not you know, some guy at the bank talking about his millions of dollars he made. <laughs> it's just like an average person talking to the camera about, I just invested 50 bucks. Right. Like super easy, super simple. And it's going really well for them. Like mm -hmm. they're huge now. Right. Is there a, is there an equivalent to that for you in real estate? Like, do you ever talk to the home buyers after, or do you, do you exploit, exploit that in some way? Yeah. I mean, video, like I said, YouTube is where I really want to put my focus and it's mm -hmm. because video, at least for me, in my opinion, video is the best way for me to um, show you who I am and to get my message across mm -hmm. and to be able to talk to you. Um, and, you know, whether it's FaceTime or the the email 
platform that I use allows you to do video emails so I can talk to them that way. Mm -hmm. But oh, cool. whatever route that I go down, for me, video is always the best way for you to see one, that I'm being genuine, right. that I'm being honest. And two, for you to be able to gauge that, is this a person that I want to work with? Is mm -hmm. this, you know, do I like his energy? Do I like his, um, the way that he sells something, the right. way that he talks about something? You know, if you watch, let's say you were to watch a, a YouTube video of some guy showing a property mm -hmm. and he's quiet and boring and <laughs> drab and just after two minutes, you want to change the video. Yep probably not going to want to choose that guy to sell your house. Mm -hmm. But you go to somebody like Ryan Serhan, let's say, and you might not even be interested in the home. You're just, the video itself is entertaining mm -hmm. because he has so much energy and he's so like fun and just engaging mm -hmm. with his audience that it shows people who he is and shows people that like, this is his energy. This is just who he is. Right. And that's, that's huge because it, like we said, it, it makes them feel like they've met you and they know you mm -hmm. before they even have to. I guess that's correct. Like that's great because so much of sales is like, what's the experience of owning the product? It's like, don't, you don't have to baffle me with the stats and the figures and, and all yeah. that. But it's like, so then for real, for realty, it's like, well, you're not really selling the house so much. You're selling the experience of buying the house from you. Right? Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's, it really comes down to, first thing is whether or not you're comfortable with me and whether or not you trust me right because if if you're not and you don't trust me then we're not going to get anywhere to begin with true so that's the first thing that has to be determined and obviously social media videos and things like that can help with that in building that initial sure. trust mm -hmm. but then after that it comes down to selling the experience and i mean if you walk into a home you can change the paint if you don't like it you can change the railings you can you know, you can change those things. Obviously money comes into play there, mm -hmm. but those things can be altered. What can't be altered is whether or not you can see yourself in that home, whether mm -hmm. or not you can see yourself experiencing that home. Like, can you see your kids running around in the backyard? Mm -hmm. Can you, can you reenact sitting on that couch and watching a movie with the family or mm -hmm. cooking in that kitchen? Or can you, can you live that experience in mm -hmm. your head? Because if you can't, one, it's not going to be the right home for you. And I would never want to sell you that home, mm -hmm. but we're probably not even going to move forward on any steps with that home anyways. Mm. So it's all about the experience and, um, selling the experience, but also giving the experience in my service and what I do for them. Interesting. How much of that experience of living in the house do you sort of start planting the seed in the, in like when you take them through a tour, are you saying things like, it's kind of cliche, like, Oh, you know, here's, this is where the, the crib would go. This is where the, you know, is that part of the, yeah, I mean, it depends on, on the buyer. Um, you know, if someone's just looking for a home that they can fix up and flip, sure. They don't care about the experience. They just care about the numbers. <laughs> sure. Um, but if it's like a family with kids mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe it's a newlywed couple or something like that, mm -hmm. then that's, pretty much the soul, my soul strategy hmm. is to paint that picture for them. Right. Um, a lot of times when you show somebody a home, it's vacant. So there's no furniture and there's no pictures up or anything like that. So that is hard for a lot of people to envision, 
you know, what's, yeah. what would my home look like if mm-hmm. I had my couches here and I had my TV and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So being able to paint that picture for them mm-hmm. of like, imagine sitting here, the sun's coming in the window and you wake mm-hmm. up and you're sipping your coffee and being able to paint that picture for them where they can then see it in their head of, okay, yeah, now I get it. Now I can see how this would work for me. Or now I see how, why this wouldn't work for me. Right. Um, that's huge. And that's not only in home sales, but I think in any sales, that's what makes a great salesman is being able to sell the experience versus sell the product. Sure. And even with restaurants, I mean, that's the reason why people go back to a restaurant is because of their experience. I mean, yeah, great food and and great drinks play into it for sure. But if you go somewhere and you have the best steak in the world, but it was a really awkward, quiet, weird experience, (laughs) probably not going to go back there. No doubt. But you can go somewhere and have fairly good food. Maybe it's not the best steak you've ever had in your life, but man, you had a lot of fun there. You're probably going to go back. Yeah. And there's... Totally. I mean, Edmonton has more restaurants per capita than anywhere in Alberta. Yeah, I believe that. We have... I mean, it might change now because of COVID and a lot of places, unfortunately, have had to close down. But, you know, let's say 2019, start of 2020, Mm -hmm. it's crazy. Like you go down White Ave, you go down Jasper Ave, every corner you look at is some new restaurant Mm -hmm. or some new bistro or pub or whatever it is. So people have a lot of options to just go get food or to go get a beer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a ton of options. So the thing that's going to make the difference and make people come to you is the experience you provide them. Interesting. Maybe I'm just a jerk, but sometimes I feel like when, I, when I'm at a restaurant, maybe I'm a cheap ass. I feel the prices are usually pretty high and yep. the portions are often fairly small. And I'm, I'm not saying that about Rebel because the one time I went there, I actually had a good time. Food was great. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and if, you know, I'm serious about that, yep. but is I know that this margins are the margins are slim, but maybe I'm out of touch. But is that how do you feel about the the product generally of some of these restaurants? Um, I think it's hit or miss in a lot of places. Okay. Um, like you, I've had the same experience. I've been to some places and I'm like, okay, I've had an appetizer and an entree, and I'm still really hungry. Like yeah. I I need more here, and I'm also <laughs> paying fifty dollars now right. for my bill on top of whatever else I get now. Mm-hmm. I feel robbed almost. I don't feel like I got any value here. Um, I think a couple ways that a lot of restaurants combat that is one, upping their portion sizes or, you know, providing more food or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But the experience helps in making people not even go to that place in their mind. Mm. Because if, if people are having a good time, they tend not to think about how much money am I spending on this vodka over this vodka sure. or how much they just want to keep the good, good times going and keep the, the party going. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and that's, that's not to say that those restaurants are tricking anybody, okay. but it's that experience has value in itself and people are, okay with spending the extra money in order to get that better experience. Mm. Um, so at least for me personally, like if I'm spending, let's say $15 on mm. a burger, mm. I would rather spend 
$18 on a burger where somewhere where the server is going to make me laugh. They're going to show me a good time. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, the hockey games on the, right. the ambiance is great. The vibe is mm -hmm. energetic in the room and it just, it was a good time mm -hmm. versus the $15 burger where I'm just sitting at a table in a quiet room and you know, <laughs> nobody's talking to me or anything. Sure. So I think at least for me personally, and I think for a lot of people, there's a monetary value that can be held to a good experience mm -hmm. and, um, to having a good time. Mm, sure. But I think a lot of places don't do that justice and think that it's all about their product and it's mm. all about their food or whatever it is. Some places completely miss the boat and think it's all about their food, but they still give you a small portion or they still <laughs> yeah. have a poor product. And right. um, the market will always correct itself correct. i guess you'd say sure. those people those businesses will eventually go out of business because people will stop going there and the places that will stay in business long term and will thrive are the ones that provide good food good service and good experience interesting those three pillars good food good, good food, service good, service. And good experience right on yeah, because I, I went out to a bar last night for the first time in, I guess, a year and sat down with some friends and it was pathetic. Yeah. Like, I'm not, not going to name names. That's not yeah. fair. But it could have been an off night. But, like, the, the I got there after the hockey game. But uh, they didn't put music on. And they just... Sportsnet was then rerunning an Oilers game from 1989. Yeah. They left that on. I mean, I don't know what the alternative is there. But no music. Very little service. Yeah. Uh, they... The girl was her birthday. She asked if she could sit in a certain table. No, you got to sit here. I, I get that there's reasons, but it was like, boy, this is, this is, a and, and then I paid $10 for a drink, right? It's like, well, it didn't even have yeah. a lime in it, Brandon. So I don't know. Yeah. Like, what am I, but what then are you doing at here? that point, you can't even justify to yourself that, okay, maybe this drink was worth $10 because of this great thing and this exactly and that right. and that and that. You can't even justify it to yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's when you start looking at 10 bucks for an ounce or two ounces of whatever it was like that's crazy that's it's insane yeah it's too much because there's no way to balance that out with something else right yeah and I, I take that point i like that a lot where it's like yeah okay sure that burger was 20 bucks but i had a hell of a time hockey was on the server was hot yeah we had some laughs totally yeah, yeah. cool and that's i mean so many people love cactus club mm -hmm. for around all of canada and the reason why they became so popular so quickly is because they have good food. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a Michelin star restaurant. It's not the best food you've ever had in your life. It's not bad though. But it's, yeah, it's good food. It's consistent. The servers are, tend to be good looking. Mm -hmm. And the atmosphere is always top notch. Like they always have great music playing in the lounge. Mm -hmm. They always have, you know, either the hockey game playing or there's some cool old school James Bond thing on the TVs mm, or, cool. you know, the lights are low and the they really pinpointed where their atmosphere needs to be mm. and they always execute well on it. And that's yeah. why they continue to be successful. Interesting. Yeah, I was at the Cactus Club on West End, West End Mall. Yeah in November and yeah exactly what you said but also the interior design is great the light fixtures just totally the finishes on it just you feel you just want to be there you do you want yeah. it and you don't really want to leave yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah I want to ask you one more before we wrap up I've heard this kind of cliche going around that the Edmonton housing market is crazy right now and I I don't know shit about it so maybe <laughs> can you shed some light on what's going on right now in housing in Edmonton yeah it is uh, it is pretty crazy um, there's a ton of buyers right now. Okay. 
And reason being is mortgage rates are insanely low right now. Like mm-hmm. probably some of the lowest we've ever seen in recent history. What are we looking at? Do you know roughly? Um, I mean, you can get a mortgage for under 2% right now. Like it's Damn. crazy. And like, you know, two years ago it was, you were having a good time if you were in the three and a half, mm-hmm. 3%, you know, around there. Okay. So it's crazy, crazy low, which made a lot of people, maybe they were thinking about buying a house in two, three years. Now they're going, maybe I should just do it now yeah. because long-term I'm going to save a lot of money. So there's a ton of buyers. Um, there's a, a, a large amount of inventory as well, and it's only getting bigger as we get into the spring season. Okay. So it's this mix of a lot of people looking for a home and a lot of people selling a home. So it's Perfect it's story. pairing. Yeah, it's pairing pretty well. <laughs> okay. um, and like even for myself, when I'm trying to book property tours mm-hmm. for different clients and, you know, I'll call or text different agents saying, hey, can, is it available to tour this day or this day? And it's like, uh, no, we just sold it. Nope, it's pending. Nope, there's mm-hmm. somebody, there's an offer already put in that mm-hmm. like it's, there's wow. so much activity going on. Um, but the positive thing with that happening is that there's, if you know, the home that you really love just got scooped up. There's always another one around the corner mm-hmm. and there's more and more coming on every day and more and more coming on every day, like more and more being built or people are just selling or, uh, both. Yeah. yeah there's, um, an insane amount of inventory in terms of, um, used homes, mm-hmm. I guess you'd call them. Sure. Um, and there's also a ton of building activity. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when you drive around downtown, it's probably more construction than any of us can remember in a long time, right? Like it's there's, true. there's a lot of, uh, towers going up. There's a lot of small condo buildings. Um, the Southwest of Edmonton right now is, is huge for mm-hmm. new neighborhoods going up and okay. new condo buildings. Um, like I, I moved into my home in probably four years ago now. I was in, in Edgemont, which okay. for those who don't know is in the Southwest near the Hamptons, just off the Anthony Henday. And I was the only home on my street. Mm-hmm. Like it was a barren wasteland of just, <laughs> just dirt. Sure. I didn't even have a fence. I didn't even have a driveway. <laughs> like it was, it was brand new. Home sweet home, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so I moved in there and it was, it was, like I said, nothing was there. Mm-hmm. Now it's a complete neighborhood. Everything is built. And there's three other neighborhoods beside me, wow. like next to each other that have all been built. And this is within a four year span. I mean, I can remember when a home took, if you were to, to build a new home, it took you like a year and a half, two years to build. Mm. Now, if you buy a new home, you can have it and be moved in within six months. Like it's crazy. Wow. That is pretty crazy. Yeah, well, it's the next kind of box to check on my list is to own, own a house. So maybe I'll give you a call here. Soon. Yeah, sounds good, man. You know where to find me. Right on. Brandon Upright, really appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you, man. Appreciate you having me on. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review.